You're listening to the Be So Good podcast with Colin Pierce. Colin says you are 10 times better than you think. So why not be so good that they simply can't ignore you? Here's your host, Colin Pierce. You're about to hear a live recording of a session I conducted for a networking company in Singapore many years ago. I particularly like this presentation because it relates to the people in the audience and the members of the company, but it also has a very sincere appreciation of the value of helping other people. A manager truly is not somebody who gives out rosters and barks orders from the corridor, but is someone who stands alongside others. Anyway, the presentation tells the whole story. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everybody. Robin Hood lay dying. He was very old. And as he sat in Loxley Castle, lay in the bed, he called his faithful merry men to his side. And he said to Maid Marian, My sweet, lift my head and place a pillow at my back that I may rest on my elbow and glance once more at my beloved Sherwood. So she helped him. Then he turned to little John and Will Scarlet and said, Good Will and good John, pass me my longbow of the finest springy elm and string to it its straight cord of deer hide. Which they did. He said, Good Friar, pass me an arrow of the finest, straightest oak, cleft with the partridge feather, and opened the window. He attached the oaken arrow to the bow, pulled it taut, and said, you must promise me, where this arrow falls, there you will bury me. He let fly with the arrow, and two days later, They buried him on top of the wardrobe. (laughs) I nearly had Christine Jensen in tears. (laughs) The problem with poor old Robin Hood's aim was that it was too short and too low for he needed to aim a little higher and a little further. A wise man once said, a goal should be out of reach, but never out of sight. This year you have some extraordinary goals in front of you. These things are just out of reach for you right now, but they are not out of sight. These are good goals. The Wizard of Id is a friend of mine. And in one cartoon, the Wizard of Id was sitting on his little wooden chair in front of the fireplace, saying, burn wood, burn, burn wood, burn. And in the next frame, you see him sitting in the fireplace in front of his blazing chair, (laughs) saying, I must learn to be more specific. And so it is for all of us. As we set our goals, we need to be very specific about them. King Solomon once said, a fool starts off in many directions at once, 
but a wise man takes prudent action. A fool starts off in many directions at once, but a wise man and woman takes prudent action. We need to be focused and singular and careful in our goal setting. And to have that, that's one of the reasons why we write it down and hang it on our wardrobe and our mirror. Not because by some great mystery in the universe, it attracts us to it, but simply because it reminds we silly, wayward folks of where we really wanted to go. For it's only this morning that we set the goal and already this afternoon we've written three others on the back wall of our mind. So we need to be specific, write them down and hold on to them so that we know exactly where it is we want to go and not start off in many directions at once. When we go home, the Grand Prix preparations will have started. Uh, they'll be starting to bring in the stands and as the month goes on, they'll be bringing in the tractors to remove pieces of the road and get us all ready for Grand Prix again. The Grand Prix reminds me of so many people in life. Those drivers come and spend all that money and make all that noise and they drive thousands of kilometres in that week and on the race itself they roar around that track at an average speed of 180 kilometres an hour. But for all their trouble and all their driving, they don't bother to stop anywhere and have a picnic lunch and enjoy the view. You would think for all the petrol they spend, they would at least want to go to Victor Harbour for the afternoon and sit there and watch the whales. But not one of them does. Just around and around and around and around and around. And so I want to lead on this afternoon to talk to you about what that story of Robin Hood really means. It's very similar to the thoughts that Florence shared with us. For you see, there are many people back at home, and sadly there could be some here, whose lives are buried on top of the wardrobe. There are people whose lives have been wrapped up in little boxes, sometimes cigar boxes like little tired old crisp paper clippings. Sometimes they've been wrapped up in an old towel or an old sheet or some old newspapers, stuffed inside a shoebox and stuck up on top of a wardrobe to be left for somebody else to find and throw out. You might have had a life like that until some kind soul came along and said to you, I've got a little plan I'd like to share with you. It might open up some new possibilities for you. And back at home, there are hundreds, probably thousands of people, well, we know maybe millions of people in our country whose life is still buried on top of the wardrobe. And it's the mission of our company and the mission of each one of us here to want to go home and help those folks out of their boxes. Help them get out, climb down off the wardrobe, look out at Sherwood Forest, run down the stairs and get out there and play, pick acorns, climb trees, make fires, do all sorts of exciting things in that forest and live life to the full. Just like we're living this week, just like you're experiencing at home. As I've listened to you speaking and talking and I've, as I've interviewed you on the Focus Book and Tape program and in other places, I've heard you repeating again and again and again that this business has taken the lid off your own life's box and let you out and you've seen yourself in a different light and you've become a different person. To get people off the wardrobe you need to be someone who's an advocate or a paraclete. Some of you will know that that's a biblical expression, to be one called alongside to help. It's to do the work of God really, to be a kind of person who steps alongside others, shows them what life is like outside of the box, helps them take off the lid and come out. I love the story of Lazarus when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, Lazarus, come forth. 
And Lazarus made no bones about it. It doesn't record that he came fifth and won a teapot. He came forth right out of that grave, got up where he was and moved out. Then Jesus said something very interesting to the friends of Lazarus. Loose him, he said. You be the ones who go around and let him out of his shoebox. Take the rapings and the grave clothes. The what? Take the wrappings and the grave cloths from him so that he can be free and be his old self again. That's the work of God. That's the work that is given to each one of us. That's one of the purposes of our humanity is to find others, let them free, let them loose, get them off the wardrobe. To be a paraclete, an advocate, one called alongside to help. An old preacher called Bob Stewart told me a beautiful story about the white-breasted sea eagle and it came back to me this week as we were watching that wonderful demonstration at the Jurong Bird Park. He recalled an incident where he was watching a white-breasted sea eagle training its chick to fish. The white-breasted sea eagle flew down across the ocean where the salmon were migrating through and picked up a salmon about, oh, I suppose, 15 inches long and flew with her padded, rough feet clasped firmly into the fish's belly back up to the rocky crag. He noticed then, after she did that several times, that she pushed the chick out of the nest. And the chick flew down across the surface of the water where the salmon were flashing to the surface themselves and watched as the chick sunk its claws into the back of a big, juicy salmon. It was then that my friend's heart started to panic because when a white-breasted sea eagle fastens its claws onto its prey and spreads its wings, it cannot let go of its prey. It is physically impossible, like lowering all your fingers and making the tall man kneel. When you do that, the ring man can't stand up. It's a kind of a reflex tropism that happens with the birds. When they lock their talons into their prey and open their wings, they can't let go. Bob noticed that this white-breasted sea eagle chick had latched itself onto a fish that was far too big. And the fish was beginning to swim back into the water. And the chick began to squeal and scree for its mother, who high up on the perch of the cliff with her keen eagle eyesight, darted like an arrow into the water and latched onto the salmon's head. And together, they flew back to the rocky crag and roosted the salmon where he belonged, on the dinner table. Bob said that was like being an advocate, one called alongside to help. There will be people who, across whom you will come who will not be able to understand how to do this business how to solve some of their personal problems and difficulties, and you'll be like the white-breasted sea eagle. You'll see them at a distance with your keen eyesight because you're leaders and you're managers and you're the kind of people who want to help. So you'll fly into their circumstances and gently, kindly, alongside them. Not do it for them, but do it with them. Get their prey back to where it needs to be. I don't know whether you remember the excitement of keeping silkworms or the excitement of bringing home a cabbage moth butterfly, or whether you remember the excitement of watching a little chrysalis in your classroom, uh, 
as the mud caked around it begins to crack after the couple of weeks, you notice that it's time for the horrible ooky slug that made all the girls go, <laughs> is about to turn into a beautiful butterfly and emerge. The teacher has been telling you all the time, well, sometimes little children, in an incident I am aware of, there was a very eager little boy who wanted to see the butterfly. And he watched that chrysalis every day. And as the butterfly began to peek out of the top of the chrysalis, he quickly peeled all the layers of leaves and mud off the top of the chrysalis, only to find that by helping it so much, the butterfly perished. And a damp, sagging, dead butterfly was thrown aside. But the teacher, in a wisdom, said, let's watch the next one. But this time, let's just watch and let the butterfly emerge in its own time. And so, without wanting to interfere now, but just watching, letting the butterfly develop in its own way, the little boy sat aside and watched as the butterfly struggled through the mud and the leaves. And finally, damp and limp hung upside down on the chrysalis and gradually stretched and pumped its frail, flabby, damp wings with the fluids of life. And at last, after many, many minutes, the butterfly spread its wings and flew away. The little boy's heart was very excited. You see, sometimes we have to get right in there and put our talons in the head of the fish and help the people. Sometimes we just have to let them emerge in their own time. And the wise manager will understand the difference and will understand that it is for some people to develop in their own way and it's other times we will have to help them in the very crucial spots. When I was young, I was a fat little dumpling, and all I could do was show off with my mouth, but I wasn't very good at sports. So when the other kids had uh, gang up chasey, I went alone by myself. When the other kids had football matches, if I were kicked in the leg, I ran to one side and, and died in a corner. Interestingly, it was part of the philosophy of our family that the eldest son was brilliant at sport, the second son was brilliant at girls, and the third son had all the excuses. And they kept reminding me that I was useless and I could never be any good at sport. And my mother kept saying, will you just be my curly-haired little one? Um, I did never develop sporting ability or sporting interest until I went to teacher's college, and there we had to pass several courses. And in teacher's college, it was important for each teacher to know how to teach basic physical education. And I looked at the physical education course and it included all sorts of impossible tasks, like walking on your hands from one end of the gymnasium to the other, uh, like swinging on the parallel bars, like working the Roman rings. And old Percy Tilbrook, our instructor, had laid out a course of points and you got 10 points for walking the length of the auditorium on your hands, you got so many points for swinging on the Roman bars. And, and all these extraordinary feats of skill gave you the points towards your qualification for physical education. I looked at all those impossible tasks and I knew I was not only going to not get a decent mark, I was going to fail miserably. My conditioning had told me that I was going to be useless at it and that was it. But I had a friend whose name was Peter Phillips. And Peter Phillips was the Broken Hill and New South Wales junior golf champion. When he came to Adelaide to Teachers College, he just took a shine to me. Our name started with P, so he came into the same group as me, and we enjoyed 
great company. We rode motorbikes together and we laughed and chatted and talked about all kinds of things. But he noticed that I wasn't very comfortable about the phys ed course. Now, Peter Phillips was a physical genius. He could do anything. He could already walk the length of the auditorium and back on his hands and do one-handed press-ups and he was extraordinary. He took it upon himself to make sure that Pierce not only passed the physical education course, but got a credit and possibly a distinction. And he said to me, I'm going to get you a distinction in phys ed, Pierce. And I said, yes, sure you are. How are you going to do that? Bash old Percy over the head and come in with a decent mark in the book when he's not looking. And he said, no, 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 we're going to pick all the little ones. And I said, what little ones? And he said, well, if you look down the list further past all the hard ones, you'd see all the little skills that are worth one and two points. I said, yeah, but you've got to do the big ones. And he said, no, 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 I've added it up for you. I've worked out that if you can do all the one and two pointers, and don't worry about the five and ten pointers, you'll get 83 out of 100, and that'll give you a distinction. I said, show me the list. <laughs> now, the list consisted of all the dumbest things you've ever seen in your life. Place a beanbag on your toes and kick it four feet over a line for one point. Place the beanbag on your toes and kick it over a line six feet away for two more points, and so on it went. You had to bend down and kick a beanbag over the top of your head that way. And he'd analysed all these things. Now, we had training sessions at the home. He even got me so excited, I learned to stand on my hands. I've got a photo of Peter Phillips, straight as a dart, and me kind of bendy with my rear end hanging out a bit too far, but I was standing on my hands that was the final five points. He gave me so much enthusiasm, I was first to the phys ed class, normally late to all the others, and I got my distinction in physical education as a credit to Peter Phillips. The best part of all of that was that he gave me so much confidence that my love for basketball turned into a skill for basketball, and I got so fit doing all Peter Phillips' beanbag throws and all the other silly things you had to do, that I finally summed up the courage to try out for the college basketball team and made it to the A team in the college basketball squad for the inter-college championships. Little, short, dorky, dumpy me. Made it into the A team of the basketball squad. Why? Why? Because I had an advocate. Somebody who was called alongside to help me. Someone who got hold of the idea and the passion and he laid it out and made it easy for me and made me understand that it was possible for any dork to be able to pass Percy's tests and become a distinction phys ed student. I'll never forget him for that. See, he learned a simple thing that later on Tom Peters talked about. He said, management is not about being brilliant. Management is about consistency. Beware the genius manager, says Peters. Management is about doing very few simple things and doing them well. I'll add that again quickly. Management's not about being brilliant. Management's about consistency. Beware the genius manager because management is about doing a very few simple things and doing them well. There are some things that we need to be aware of, and let me remind you of some of those. There are things like faithfulness. Faithfulness in all the things we do. Another person called Jan Carlson, who's had a great effect on uh, management and customer service, had this to say about moments of truth. Jan Carlson, 
turned around Scandinavian air systems and he wrote a book called Moments of Truth. And his book talks about how a moment of truth is any point in your customer's relationship with you where they make up their minds about the quality and reliability of your service. Now, we don't have customers, we have members. So let's just change the word with Mr. without Mr. Carlson's permission. It is to say this, a moment of truth is any point in your relationship with your members where they can make up their mind about the quality and reliability of your service or of your leadership. And the moments of truth are little things. Carlson told us that in Scandinavian air systems, there were 50,000 moments of truth out there every day. Little things, and you've noticed them as if you've gone into shops in Australia, or as you ring up on the telephone, you ring up and somebody says, I'll put you through, and they don't for 10 minutes. Or you want a bill paid and you can't find anybody, you want to go and buy a pair of shoes and they're all hiding in the back room playing drafts. Little tiny things make us say, well, blow that, I'm not going back to XYZ company again because they don't know anything about management. They don't know anything about salesmanship. They don't know anything about the basic little qualities of relationships. Now, you and I have to be aware of our moments of truth. The way we answer the telephone at home when we're feeling a bit grumpy and snotty could affect a member's relationship with us forever because they make up in their minds in an instant how their relationship will go from there on. And if you answer the phone a little coldly or if your child answers the phone with a lack of discipline or if you manage to say something which isn't a silver gift, then that will determine the relationship from there on. You know yourself that in relationships with companies, why companies as important and significant as David Jones, Myers, people that have been in business for decades, you have made up your mind that they are not worthy of your business over an incident as small as whether or not there were two left shoes in a box, one of which could easily be replaced. You've made up your mind about the quality of their service over whether or not the coffee was hot or cold in the cafeteria. And you've decided that you can sit in judgment on them. Multi-million dollar empires can go down the drain as far as you're concerned because they failed you in a moment of truth. Now moments of truth are around us everywhere and in the faithful little things we do for our people, as they call us, as they relate to us, as we give them gifts, as we write them notes, these things have to be honestly, openly faithful. It's also important for us to be consistent. And we've got to be consistent with our own personality. You can't read a whole lot of compliments out of the back of a How to Give Compliments book and paste them on your telephone wall so that when you ring people, you, in a scheduled way, read off this week's compliment. That's not consistent with your personality, unless it is, of course, something that you've written decided to say. But if you're a bit of a grumpy old snot and people ring you and suddenly on the telephone you say, and I'm just so excited to read on my group printout this week that you've made it to 8%. Oh, I'm just so excited. I could hardly sleep last night. We're just so pleased for you. And the next time they meet you, you've got your normal scowl on, your normal grumpy way about it. They'll say, no, this is just an act. They're just doing a number on me here. Now you must make sure that the kind of relationships you have with people are consistent with you. So that who you are really comes across in the things you say and do. And although Keith might have a great bunch of techniques which he passes on and says, look, here are the things I do, they might work for you. He doesn't mean parrot word for word what I say. I've heard him, he says, no, you adapt that to suit your own personality and style. If you're a quiet, meek little person, well, you can't behave as John does in front of people. 
We've seen in organisations all over the place where sales managers adopt the things to say out of the things to say book and nobody believes them anymore because they're not consistent with their own selves. Of course, there's got to be a level of excitement and even quiet people can get excited. Not everybody gets excited as Meryl, but Meryl gets excited. There's uh, all sorts of... I can imagine Meryl as she's an older woman, um, perhaps in an old folks' home. No, it'd be a few years, yeah, but I can see Meryl. Oh, I know she's a fit, fit little trout. She knows how to keep herself going. Can you see Meryl in about 40 years' time? An old folks' home. She's watching the cricket, and a streaker rushes across the cricket ground, and she says, hmm, I think I'd like to do that. <laughs> That looks exciting. I think I'll create a bit of excitement after lunch in the games period. So after lunch, she toddles up to her room. Over a period of an hour or so, she gradually removes all her paraphernalia, proceeds to streak down the passageway. through the games room. In the games room, Peter Conway and Simon Renshaw are playing drafts. Meryl pushes open the door. And goes out the other door. Simon looks at Peter and says, Who was that, Pete? And Pete looks back and says, I don't know. <laughs> Looked a bit like Meryl. <laughs> hmm. What was she wearing? <laughs> hmm. Says Peter. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but you think she could have ironed it? <laughs> Now, when we see Bob, we've got something to say, all right? Well, it's all about creating excitement. <laughs> and you mustn't ever give up the opportunity to create excitement for people. One of the most exciting people I know... Colleen, please control yourself. One, one of the most exciting people we all know is... Um, <laughs> is our John. Now... If you've never had the privilege of eating with John and uh, sharing his food with him, whether you wanted to or not, you, uh, you're in for a treat. You must invite him out for a cup of coffee sometime. Now, I was having a cup of coffee with John in Adelaide, and we were trying to get some things sorted out for the book and tape program. We wanted to do a bit of forward planning, and uh, he loves a cappuccino, so in came the cappuccinos, and John is stirring the cappuccino. And I'm saying, so what about a roundabout in October? I think that, that book should come through and we should get a speaker who speaks on that. He says, oh, this is a great cappuccino, mate. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he says, I know it's a good cappuccino, but uh, about October and the book we're bringing through, um, you know, uh, another Daniels book or a, a book from the States or something written by an Australian. He says, oh, look at this froth. <laughs> this froth is really something else, isn't it? It's, 
this is great froth. He said, look, great froth. I know it's cappuccino froth. He said, oh, no, I've never tasted froth like this ever. This, look how high it is. This is big froth. I said, all right, it's big froth. Now, how about October? And he says, oh, mate. You're right, what were you saying about October? <laughs> I said, yes, John, October, the book. We're going to get a speaker to match the book. How about that? He said, oh, I tell you, this froth, mate. Look, shut up about the froth. Now, the person who had brought us the cappuccinos came past and he said, excuse me, madam, would you mind putting him out of my misery? He wants to know how you make the froth so that he can tell every other froth maker in the world how to do it your way. Am I right? He said, oh, yeah, that'd be a good idea. So I said, would you kindly show this man how to make your cappuccino? And he said, oh, okay. we don't want to put you out of any trouble. By the way, you've got a beautiful smile. What's your name? Oh, it's not me. <laughs> now tell me, how do you do this? No, I'd be really interested. No, 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 don't want to put you out of any trouble. But if I could actually go into the kitchen and have a... In the kitchen, I said. Oh, no, no, I don't want to put you down any trouble. She's, she's, now, if I say things like this, they look at me and they say, <laughs> He says exactly the same words, and they say, Well, we bring you into the kitchen. Come with us. So there we are into the kitchen, watching how they make the blooming cappuccino. Now, any, anybody knows how they make cappuccino. You get coffee, milk, and froth it up a bit and throw a bit of chocolate on the top and bring it out to people. He's so excited. He says, oh, is that a cappuccino machine? Wow. Oh, you just put ordinary coffee in there? Oh, yeah, coffee. Oh, that's interesting. You make it with coffee, do you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and milk. You put milk in it. Oh, it's just ordinary milk. Oh, that's interesting. And milk. Oh, gee, coffee and milk, Cole. Look at that. And you say, it's great, John. Isn't it exciting? Yeah, coffee and milk. He says, oh, what? And you just put... Oh, you put the chocolate on the top like that. Oh, it's very good. Oh, and the, oh, and the froth. What's your secret of the froth? This went on for 10 minutes over a dumb cappuccino. I watched as the woman stirred the milk through the steam. And he says, oh, that's the steam in the milk. You know, yeah. And she said, that's the secret ingredient. And as I watched this, it slowly dawned on me that this is how he goes through life. Excited. Open-eyed. Never too old or too dumb to learn, or too smart to learn. <laughs> Always with a keen and eager eye. And I said, you're going to turn this into an illustration in a talk, but I've beat him to it. <laughs> For you see, the simplicity of the illustration according to my interpretation, is this. You take coffee, milk, and chocolate, and throw them all together in a cup, and you have a mediocre beverage. But if you take one vital ingredient, steam, and mix it carefully, you have an exotic, smart, pleasing drink. Now, we often say when we're showing a person our plan, you need goals, and you've got those, so you're already working in the right way. You need effort, and we'll talk about that in a moment, and you need the right plan. But the one secret ingredient we need to remember in this pleasing little beverage we're concocting is... Me.
when you get your goals and your effort and our right plan, you also get me. I'm the secret ingredient. I'm the great white-breasted mother sea eagle. I'm the Peter Phillips. I'm the one who's called alongside the help. I'm the one that's going to help you out of your chrysalis, giving you time and being patient with you. I'm the one that's going to climb up on top of the wardrobe, get you down, set you on the table, take the lid off your box, get the newspapers from off you, untie your ribbon and set you free. For I'm an advocate. I'm the one who can help you. I'm the one who's doing the work of God. Pilgrim, would you do the work of God as you tread this tired sod? You answer yes. But how, you say, when no one stands to show the way? A picture, perhaps, I ought to paint of children sweet or old folks quaint. Or carve a statue out of wood of some great hero, bold and good. A piece of music I could write for lovers dancing in the night. Or lines and poems in sweet rhyme to help folks while away the time. To heal the sick or feed the poor or welcome strangers at my door. Are these the works of God, my friend, to toil in labour without end? Ah, good pilgrim, all these works are true. But the work of God, I'll answer you. The work of God he gives to man is to take another by the hand. For many are the saddened hearts who will never really take their parts in life's great battles or games or plays until another shows the way. Go walk the pace your friend can walk, to speak the language he can talk, to think his thoughts and share his dream, to take him where he's never been and help him walk by chart and plan and be at last a better man. Thank you. May you hit the tarmac running. If you'd like more inspirational ideas on business or life itself, come to columnpeers.com. Look in our shop and there you'll find books, all designed to help you become the person you really want to be. Oh, and the idea might have crossed your mind that I might be able to speak at your coming event. Don't be shy. Look on the website under bookings and send off a booking request to see if I'm available. I might just be in your neighbourhood when you need me. You've been listening to Be So Good with Colin Pierce. Please share the link with someone who needs to be reminded that they are 10 times better than they think. For more episodes, check out the playlist at colinpierce.com slash podcast. And don't forget to drop a review in iTunes. It really does make a difference.